that. We want to talk right down to earth in a language that everybody here can easily understand. And welcome to a very special edition of Morton's Law. I'm your host, Christopher Morton. This is a post-backlash show. I promise you this show Sunday night, and we are on the air. Uh, please remember to follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Morton's underscore law. Again, appreciate the continued support. Please spread the word. Thank you very much for that. And um, before we get into backlash, I want to introduce, I told you this, we would have the special guest. And he is here indeed. It is the Peeps Nate from Saturday Afternoon's Main Event. Peeps Nate, how's it going? Oh, I'm doing good. Uh, finished watching this pay-per-view. Um, hanging in there pretty good. Uh, look, uh, the WWE is in, I guess, a precarious position with this particular pay-per-view because it's, it's almost like a transitional pay-per-view based on the fact that the last one they did was WrestleMania. Now this is really them trying to kind of separate starting starting their quote-unquote wrestlemania year going forward through here um well, we'll i guess we'll get into it <laughs> yes indeed <laughs> a lot to discuss yeah. yeah so uh let's get right into the pre-show now here's the thing coming into this pre-show we had heard rumblings based on the paul Heyman firing as creative lead uh, for raw that Vince McMahon had already decided to tweak the show a little bit. However, I don't want to confirm any of this. So I'll just say, reportedly, Vince tweaked the show. And now, again, we won't know if, if Apollo Crews versus Andrade for the U.S. title was supposed to be on the main show. But it ends up being on the pre-show. So a lot of people will speculate that Vince made that change to spite Paul Heyman. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I would not be surprised, especially considering that the main guys that Heyman wanted pushed, which is Ricochet and Cedric Alexander and uh, Drew McIntyre and uh, Apollo Crews, these were the guys that he wanted to start building some uh, some some heat around and getting them the rub. But I guess because of whatever Vince had either against Heyman or Heyman's ideology behind his booking, whatever is the case, um, he decided that he needed to put his own spin on it. And I think that mostly because now he's much more hands-on with it because there's no XFL. I mean, look, Vince is very spiteful, so I'm, I'm sure that's very possible. And again, we're going to see what happens going forward with everything in terms of how they booked stuff with Heyman's absence now. Uh, so yes. just moving along in this match. Um, so we get Owens comes down to the ringside. So we immediately think, as opposed to clean, I call it, we're going to get a filthy finish. So, <laughs> so, and then here's the thing. Andrade essentially lost for a month straight, right? I mean, think about it. He loses the title to Apollo Crews. Then he loses in a rematch. Then he loses in a tag match. So he's been almost jobbed out. And then somehow, Monday night, he wins this three-way to even get into this match. What were your thoughts on that? I think for whatever reason, I know Vince McMahon himself likes Andrade. I don't think that has anything to do with the fact that Andrade is, is engaged to Charlotte Flair. 
or dating or whatever the situation is. So maybe that has something to do with it. I don't know. Um, but looking at how the, they were booked as far as the faction that they were in and the fact it seems like the faction lost a ton of steam. They were prominent. They were in a bunch of segments. Seeing what they did going into the match and then Andrade getting the springboard into this, maybe they're looking at rebooting it or at least maybe singling out Andrade and trying to push him forward again. I don't know. Now, right. I mean, it's you just never know what their plans because they don't stick to anything. They're like, oh, okay, we're going to do this today. And then uh, when the show starts, oh, no, no, we're changing our thoughts. We're going to do this now. That's, that's the way Vince yeah. is. He's always been that Vin- way. Vince is very, very mercurial. He is one of those guys that if he, he, he books on a feeling and a whim, if he feels that something didn't go just right because the lighting was off on a particular way, he'll change it right off the bat. If a wrestler doesn't say something a certain way that he thought he wanted to hear it in his own mind, he'll change it and scrap the whole thing. So who knows what's going on in 10 minutes, 15 minute increments in Vince McMahon's head, which could completely change the entire roster and the and the direction of what the booking is going forward. Right. And um, here's the thing. I knew this match going in, even though Andrade did win instead of Garza, and we, we had issue with, or at least I had issue with how they booked in terms of beating Kevin Owens. Like, you don't beat Kevin Owens or Angel Garza unless you have him in this match. That made no sense. So sure. we get we get to this match. I mean, look, I, I knew this would be a good match just because these two guys are really good workers. They didn't get a lot of time, but you don't want to say, you know, 10 minutes, whatever, for U.S. title match. You, you, you would like more time. But, um... So here's how the match played out. So we had Owens, of course, got involved as, as predicted, which is easy as soon as you see him sit down. And then uh, Cruz ends up hitting his finisher and retain the title. However, if you notice, and we discussed this because we were actually on the phone at the time, it was an odd pin situation. And I'm curious if we're going to find out if either Andrade got hurt or there was just something else there that just took place because his shoulders weren't on the mat immediately. And then it took like five seconds for that to happen. And then the pin occurred. That was weird, right? Very weird. It it, it looked almost as if when he came down, he wasn't ready for for him to flatten his back as he hit the mat. And I actually thought that maybe his shoulder hit something or maybe Cruz's foot hit him in the shoulder as he came down. So maybe that's what might have happened because he did look legitimately jarred after the match was over. But then he kind of walked it off as he got toward uh, the uh, the aisle way as he left the ring. And he did look like he was OK. But, you know, maybe he was selling an injury. Maybe he's selling something. But that did look kind of wonky, if you if you want to use that word. Right. I mean, we'll, we'll eventually find out if he was selling or if he was really hurt. So moving along. Uh, look, I don't know how you feel about this, but when every card on every show has a triple threat. I'm sick of them. I'm so sick of triple threats. I've been down on it for the last several weeks now. And naturally, with this women's three-way, we get another triple threat. Yes. Uh, Iconics and uh, Cross and Bliss and Bailey and Banks. Um, I think what they're doing, obviously, they're trying to stretch this whole Bailey Banks. You know, it looks like they're going to split. They've been teasing this for like two years, almost in some way, shape, or form. Uh, the Iconics, 
had some momentum until they weren't used. Cross and Bliss, they look like they've been teasing a break between those two. So I, I don't know how it's kind of hard to have a tag team division when you really only have like three or four tag teams. And I think that's what made it hard for, to really get into this match. They tried very hard, but there was too much chaos going on in this match. Right. I mean, the commentators did a good job selling it. It seemed like the, the PC trainees were into the match. In fact, we got a really early, this is awesome chant where I was like, eh, I'm not sure that's warranted at this moment, but <laughs> if you guys want to cheer, <laughs> go ahead and chant away. Um, yeah, I'll say maybe, this. Maybe they were practicing for the rest of the night. Maybe. Um, I'll say this, though. That was pretty funny at the beginning of before the match even took place. Bailey's backstage and she literally took a verbal shit on Kayla Braxton. That was pretty funny. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it goes to show you exactly how Bailey has evolved as a heel, where everybody looked at it when she first turned it. Oh, I don't think how did this can work? This milk toast huggy. Love the fans, love the little children, and it is complete actually better as a heel than she is as a face. I think it really it is really shocking how good of a heel she has become and evolved over the last year. Yeah, Hollywood, get ready for Bailey. She's coming because clearly she's a really good actress. Because I do not believe she's anything like this in real life. So she's yeah, good. Uh, I'll say this though, I, w- I was going to pull the group. We have a text group with a bunch of friends. Mm. Who do you think is one of the most sexiest women in WWE on the low? In terms of, they don't dress her that way. But if you look closely, I think a certain individual in this match is really sexy. Who do you, who do you think? I'm thinking it's Bailey, in all reality. You know, well, body-wise, Sasha, I like, yeah, I like, oh. right. well, Sasha's not on the low, though. No. But I think, okay. I think a, nobody really thinks about Bailey in that way. Because of the whole goody two shoes milk toast personality that she had before, nobody looks at her as a human. When in fact, if I'm not mistaken, Bailey is either married or engaged or dating somebody. And I've seen pictures online of her and her boyfriend or husband or whatever. So, yeah, a lot of people don't look at that. I'll give you mine. Ready? I really think on the low. And if you see her Instagram photos, you'll you'll agree because. They don't dress her up. Nikki Cross, what a oh, body. Yeah. She's really cute. Yes, very, very attractive. And I think that because she's short, they keep her in the, like you said, dressed down, muddled down kind of look to appeal. So she doesn't take a lot of shine from the other stars that she's in. Because that's that's, that's like a clever way that they book where they – they, the, the WWE and mostly Vince, they know who they want to have as quote-unquote eye candy. So they know who to give the accoutrement to. Whereas certain wrestlers, they want to keep them a little subdued so you don't notice them in that way and you look at them for a particular purpose, which is what they do in the ring or their particular character. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to spend too much time on that just because I want to, I want to appreciate what they do in the ring. But I'm being realistic here when I say a lot of these matches are just not that good. I mean, when you get Bailey and Sasha and Charlotte and a few others, you get really good matches. But when you involve the Iconics, it just turns into a shit show. Yeah. But also, let's really be fair. The Iconics, as as green as they can look sometimes, 
they haven't really been used all that often. So it's kind of hard to find to get any chemistry out of a team or a particular wrestler with others without that working bit that they should have to say if they were working for. Remember, they won the they, they won they they won the the women's tag team championships, and then they weren't used for like six months. So, what do you do when you stick them in like a a a program where all of the other teams and wrestlers have been on television being used and in a lot of instances being used against each other for upwards of six months? That's well, kind of a hard sell on paper. When you, when you stick them in the ring with, with people who are better, they kind of got exposed perhaps, and they're like, well, we can't put them out there as legit workers when we know they're subpar. That could have been part of it. That could have been also, but I also think that they they suffer from the fact that they just weren't being used. So I think when the time comes as uh, what Dusty Rhodes used to call nut-cutting time, when it's time to finally get them in the ring and see what they can do, they, no one is looking at the Iconics really and thinking that that's a serious team or that they're going to win in this match because of the other talent that's already in the ring. That's right, baby. I know a lot about nut-busting. Is that what you said, nut-busting? Because I'm really good at <laughs> nut-busting, baby. <laughs> That's right, baby. Bullet of wood, if you will, to my public. <laughs> so, um, oh, serious question, by the way. Does Billy Kay wear more makeup than Doink the Clown? Oh, boy. <laughs> I mean, oh, my God. Can you take some of that off? See, here's my biggest thing with all women in general. I've even told women I've dated. I'm like, take that makeup off. You look better without it. Women just cake on makeup, and it makes them look worse. But you also have to remember, in this business, it's not 100% on the wrestler. I think a lot of that has been perpetuated even more so by Vince McMahon. Look at how he's, look at how over, before we've had this women's revolution, look at how he portrayed all of the female talent. They were the strippers, they were dancers. You had the, 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 the HLA segment with lesbians and all the other stuff and they all looked like overdone you know makeup hair less clothes so i guess that's what what mcmahon wants but they kind of gotten away from it the iconics are kind of like a throwback to that era as far as the overdone makeup and the dyed hair and the gold sequin type clothing and you know that that's what they're doing so just move along to the the match itself i mean look they worked hard I know they they tried. They really did. Um, you know, Bliss ends up, she looked like she hit her finish. And then Sasha rolls into the ring. She cradles Bliss and gets the win. I mean, look, going into the match, she kind of knew they were going to retain. I didn't believe they were dropping the titles because Bailey and Sasha are money until they split. Yeah. And I think they're trying to, like we said before, they're stretching this until I think SummerSlam. Or if they can, maybe to uh, until they can get fans in the seats so that they can they can pop a building with Sasha going over uh, Bailey. And I think it's uh, the original plan from what I remember reading about was that SummerSlam, which is supposed to be in Boston in August, has been pretty much from what we know of canceled because of what's been going on the the, the pandemic uh and the idea was if they're going to turn her 
turn her in front of her home crowd so she gets the pop when she goes over on 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 Bailey. That's not going to happen. So I guess until something like that is present, they're going to stretch that as long as possible with the doubt and their friends again. And then there's a doubt again. And who knows what happens? It, it'll happen. It's just a matter of the pacing. I just don't like the notion that Sasha has to be the one to turn. I think Bailey's been such a great heel. She should she should turn or stay what she is, rather. Well, see, and that's that's the reason why I think that it's going to be Sasha that turns face. I don't think Sasha is going to be the one that turns. We've seen Sasha as a heel. As a matter of fact, we've seen Sasha as a heel now for when she initially did the turn and she dyed her hair from from red to blue, I guess to signify that she was moving over to SmackDown. She's a great heel. But I think Bailey should enjoy a longer run as a heel because she's doing it really well. Yeah, I definitely agree with everything you're saying. I think uh, right now, Bailey needs to stay heel, and, and Sasha could be a pretty good face at this moment. We'll see what they do. Uh, moving along, uh, we're, we got this Jeff Hardy-Sheamus match. Listen, I'll just say this. They, they go revisit the ridiculous segment of Hardy right. hitting Elias with the car. I mean, th- this whole thing was embarrassing, and we agree on this. It, this angle, I, I don't like the fact that Jeff Hardy agreed to this. I think it makes everyone just everyone involved looks stupid and desperate. Um, the whole urine thing on SmackDown was a disgrace. I don't know. What are your thoughts? It was not not only was it a disgrace, not only was it disgusting, but also it was it was recycled because they used that exact same urine spot back, I believe, in 2008 or 2007. It was a feud that Shawn Michaels was having, I believe, against Vince McMahon. I think it was one during that time when I think Vince McMahon was teaming up with, uh, I think he had Shawn Michaels face God. You think you remember that that stupid angle that they did? I think it was for SummerSlam. And they did the same thing. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but 2008, I was dark with WWE. I'll be honest with you. Uh, Post-JBL era around that time. I, yeah. I I could not watch WWE at all. It made me it was insulting to watch. Yeah, it's in it 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 was very very tasteless. They they did uh, a feud where for SummerSlam, I believe of that year it was Vince McMahon and Shane McMahon versus Shawn Michaels and God. Like literally, he had Shawn Michaels have God as his tag team partner. But anyway, regardless. The whole urine thing was almost done verbatim, where he, uh, Shawn Michaels did a urine test behind the curtain, had a cup full of urine. He said the same thing, it's better to be pissed off than to be pissed on, and he threw it at Vince McMahon. The exact same thing that, that, that uh, Jeff Hardy said, which, as I told you, I didn't watch. After, after I saw that particular skit or opening salvo, I didn't watch SmackDown. I ended up watching the um, the Intercontinental Championship match, which was, by the way, one of the best matches I've seen this year. I ended up watching it on YouTube because I, I could not sit down and watch the WWE after that garbage that I saw on Friday. Yeah, I'm disappointed that Jeff Hardy would agree to this. I think he should say no, and he should have went home. You don't want to revisit this. This kind of, you know, it reminds me of, and I said this on my last show, it reminds me of the angle that they ran with Hawk. When Hawk got yes. clean, they start bringing him to the ring, looking like a drunk, falling off the Titan Tower, all that garbage. Same thing. 
Yes. And the problem is this is not the first time and it won't be the last time that the WWE does something tastelessly disgusting that has happened in a bad light of a wrestler's career and then turn it into a storyline. I mean, how many times have we seen a wrestler dies and a tag that they, they use that wrestler's death for the heel to make fun of? Like you remember uh, Randy Orton had a feud with Rey Mysterio before WrestleMania, and he said something about Eddie Guerrero is looking up at you because he's burning in hell. You know, tasteless crap like that is what Vince McMahon is all about in a lot of instances. So something like this, this is just this is just going back into his Rolodex of garbage that he pulls out. Oh, without question. I mean, it's just it never. It, that's why people get turned off when they worry about ratings. I mean, that this is the stuff people get sick of. It's insulting. So moving especially along, when they have so much talent in the company that they could actually run three hours on a Monday, two hours on Wednesday, two hours on a Friday, and then a, a, an hour here or there, and they have enough talent to run great matches with all of these guys. But it never fully happens the consistency is never there because vince mcmahon is into what makes vince mcmahon laugh that's what he puts on his television show yeah so uh moving along with this match listen i'll be honest going in just based on the pre-storyline not to mention i'm not a big fan of sheamus i never have been i i, I don't get sheamus uh listen when sheamus was off t- when sheamus was off tv for a while i was like okay i don't i don't miss him so I'm saying you couldn't pay me to watch this match. I think Sheamus is like the typical Vince McMahon, mediocre in-ring guy. Um, and and let's be honest, lately Hardy's matches have been blah. I mean, I know he's gone for a while, but when's the last time you remember a great Jeff Hardy match? So I will say this, though. I think this match did turn into a decent contest. What is your thought on it? I actually thought it was a good match. I, I think... To some degree, you might be a little bit hard on Sheamus. I've enjoyed Sheamus and a lot of his matches, especially there was a time, mostly because he had been wrestling hurt, that there were some of his matches were not up to par with some of the other stuff that he's done. When you look at the matches that he had in tag team with um, with Cesaro when they were the bar and they were having all of these great tag team matches, uh, he suffers, I believe, from uh, spinal stenosis, which is one of the reasons why he was out for so long. And to have that hinders what you can do in the ring. And with his size and how big he is, I'm pretty sure that that didn't help him. So going into a match like this, I actually thought it was a pretty decent match. It, I, I didn't have too many problems with it. It was, it was a physical match. It told the story. Uh, Sheamus looked somewhat dominant in a lot of instances. Jeff Hardy looked like the risk taker that he usually is. That's pretty much what you can get out of a Jeff Hardy match and what you got out of a Sheamus match. And they gave you a little bit better than what they usually have been doing. They gave us a really good face versus heel match, which is rare in wrestling these days. It was a good good selling by Hardy. You get the good comeback. And then unfortunately, he he went to the daredevil aspect of it, went on the outside, Made the mistake, ate the bro kick, Sheamus threw him in, hit the second bro kick for the finish. What are your thoughts on that? Very good, very good match. Um, I, I, well, I think based on what they were trying to sell and what they were asking for 
I think they gave you a ten percent more of what you expected. I think it was a, a pretty good match. It wasn't it wasn't great by any means, but I thought it was a pretty good. They could have done this match on Raw, but I think that this was actually a pretty good match for what they gave you on a pay per view, and it was long enough. It wasn't too long, and like I said before, it was a very physical match. I actually enjoyed that that aspect of it. Right. Yeah. I mean, I I, I could care less. I'm not gonna lie. Um, the the women's title match is up next. Look, the the backstory here going in is that everyone. I think the general consensus is people hate Nia Jax for everything she's done in terms of hurting everybody. I think most people want to see her lose this match and get pins. Uh, I'll say this. I think um, before we get into the finish, I'll say that I think Asuka actually carried Nia to a pretty good match here. It wasn't. I w- it didn't stink up the joint, that's for sure. Your thoughts? Yeah, it, it was it was actually pretty good. Like you said, Asuka carried the match probably at the direction of the guys in the back, whoever whoever uh, uh, put the match together, whoever booked it, whoever agent did the agenting on the match, uh, mostly for that same reason. But there's one thing in the match that I – and I, I brought it up to you. It was on commentary, and I think – Based on who was in the ring, Asuka being Japanese and Nia Jax being in the match, there was a spot in the match during a submission hold where Asuka was trying to get Nia Jax to submit. And Byron Saxton, who's one of the commentators, said something that is really not PC about uh, Asuka trying to find a, quote, chink in the armor of... Nia Jax. Now, I personally don't believe that he had meant anything by it because it's a regular, innocuous comment, but in this world that we live in right now, something like that can't be said. And I don't know how they didn't he didn't catch that. Well, I mean, they were live, so they, 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 they couldn't edit the whole thing. Well, true, true. But I, I, I have a feeling somebody that's astute is going to catch it on Twitter, and then something is going to... I hope nothing comes of it, but we've seen this cancel culture that we live in. So I hope that that's not what happens. Just and something that I noticed while we were watching the it's paper. It's a bit much. You know, it's a bit much. And thank God we have Dave Chappelle. As a standard comedian, I say, fuck all these people. <laughs> Good one. Yeah, I, I can understand that. Okay, um, now let's go to the finish. So here's the thing. I mean, we get this spot on the outside, which is pretty interesting. You get the, the, the arm bar. And then Nia Jax gets free, and then they have this, uh, what is she, she dumps her on the barricade, right? And then the, yes. the ref is counting during this whole process. Uh, it looks like Nia might get back into the ring and beat the count, and then Asuka grabs her, kicks her in the head, and then the ref counts 10. Now, this is rare. Here's the thing. Most people get dumped on this finish and say Asuka. I mean, look, I, personally, I want to see Nia Jax get pinned just for all the crap she's done, but this is a rare double count out, so you kind of move on. The only thing that bothers me is that they live to protect Nia Jax, and it's unbelievable. She truly is Teflon. Pretty much. And I think that the sentiment is that because she's still... I mean, Nia Jax has been in that company now, what, maybe five years, six years, since leaving like the NXT uh, Performance Center and going on to the main roster. Um, she has a reputation... Now it's like once is an accident, twice is a coincidence, third is a pattern. She's done this at least five or six times where she's 
injured wrestlers because of one, she just doesn't have either the awareness or she just doesn't know how to pull back. You've often heard me say that I thought that the big show had the hardest job of all of the current wrestlers, mostly because he had to be strong enough, but he also had to be mindful enough of not to kill anyone. Nia Jax is one of these big wrestlers that has to have that same mindset. Yeah, I mean, look, a lot of people have been complaining about her for a long time, and we've seen the injuries, and a lot of people are now calling for her to actually return to developmental and that maybe she needs to learn from scratch. Mm. I I don't know how that would float over, especially since she is related to The Rock and the NOI family. So... Let's see that that'll go over like a fart in church. I don't know if that's going to work. <laughs> well, yeah, like the end of the day, though, if it continues, Vince McMahon will make that call. I don't know. I mean, he could release her. I mean, look, if you remember, we talked about people getting hurt in this business. And if you remember, Mr. Uh, Mr. Kennedy, Ken, Ken Anderson, whatever his name was, he had like 10 different names. Um, yes. Didn't he eventually get released because he continued to hurt people? Yes. And it was mostly on I think it was on a raw in a six-man tag where he hurt Randy Orton. And I think that Randy the see, the difference is Nia Jax hasn't hurt, you know, Charlotte Flair. Nia Jax hasn't hurt, you know, somebody of prominence. Right, that's Although sure, we that, did hear they, about the, 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 the Ronda Rousey thing. Right, but they, that, that, that's not true, though. Charlotte Flair took a bump from her. She's on the list of casualties. Okay, well... That's one of the things. Now, usually, if somebody hurts a star, Vince is usually in somebody for whatever reason. But Ken Kennedy didn't have connections with, you know, the ultra nepotistic family that is the NOI dynasty. Whereas we all know all of the all of the players involved on uh, this the Samoan family that is in the WWE, which is pretty much really at a foundation of the company since Vince took over. Yeah. Um, look, we'll see what happens with her. Uh, at this time, we're going to take a brief time out. We're going to come back on the other side with more of Backlash. You're listening to Morton's Law. Stay tuned. Come back after this. And welcome back to this special edition of Morton's Law. I'm your host, Christopher Morton. We're uh, reviewing Backlash, and we still have on the phone the Peeps Nate from Saturday Afternoon's main event. Still with us, Peeps Nate? Yes. Yeah, by the way, you said you made the you made the joke earlier talking about uh, you did something going over like a fart in church. True story. I actually farted one time at a funeral or a wake inside the church. Wow. And it was rancid to the point where I was with it was it was actually my girlfriend's grandmother who passed. And this is a horrible story because it was so embarrassing because I, I let out one of those, you know, silent but deadlies. And oh, she looked around. I looked around. I knew I was guilty and I felt so bad because everybody had to eat it. And it was like the worst ever. <laughs> what did you eat before you got there? It was probably something breakfast related. I don't know. It was early in the morning. And all I, I remember the fact that she wanted to kill me when I admitted that I did it. But it was all in fun, though. She wasn't seriously wanting to kill me. But, you know, I mean, that it could if people could have walked out, they would have walked out. That's how bad it was. Wow. Oh, good grief. 
<laughs> I, I, I was, you know, oh well. Okay, so moving along with this backlash show. So next up, we get, listen, I don't want to spend too much time on this because it doesn't deserve time. Uh, we get this universal title match. This, look, I'm going to just put it in perspective. I can't take this seriously. I think this is a joke for everybody involved. I, like, I don't even know why they did this. And, and like we talked about via text message, every segment leading up to this match was like Vince as a kid, basically. You know, like I think Vince shot his load, you know, watching this whole segment and everything that led up to this. It's just, it's just embarrassing. Nobody wins in this. Miz and Morrison look worse. I mean, it's just, what do you get out of this? Ah, who knows? And, and as we said before, the, the theme is Vince McMahon's mercurial mindset is to booking. And you could tell when he hired Bischoff to run SmackDown and then he hired Heyman to run Raw. You could tell that it was because, like I said a little earlier, that he was running the XFL. He needed somebody to kind of stoke the fires of both shows until he could potentially get back and do the show. Bischoff showed that he wasn't able to run uh, uh, SmackDown, so they put in Bruce Pritchard. We saw what happened with Heyman. He's no longer running Raw. Pritchard is now running both. So through... Pritchard is McMahon, and that's basically why he's doing everything. He's got more time now that there's no XFL, so he can put his own hand on both shows, and then Pritchard will just filter through him, kind of like a conduit from McMahon through Pritchard to put his stamp on both shows. And I, I'll guarantee you, everything that's happened on this show had something to do with Vince putting his hand print on everything. Oh, without question. I imagine whatever wasn't taped, again, it's been sketchy what's taped, what's live, who the hell really knows. But I, I'm inclined to believe that he switched a lot of stuff on this show and not for the better. Wouldn't be surprised. Would not be surprised at all. So I'll say this. I think the sad part about this whole thing in terms of this tag team, and when you lose to one guy, first of all, don't forget, this is a former tag team champions going against your universal champion. A guy who essentially was a joke for a long time in this company, let's be fair, and how uh, poorly Braun Strowman was booked. And then all of a sudden, like, you know, Bray Wyatt has the kid, so now he's out of the picture. They put the title on him. And this whole now, you know, of course, dating back to it, the incident with Roman Reigns at WrestleMania, of course, but and, and Goldberg. It's like, a, it's, like a, it's out of the, it's, it's crazy, everything that transpired here for Braun Strowman to become champion. When, if you remember, when Braun Strowman was, was hot, and when everyone wanted him to become champion, they wouldn't pull the trigger and give him the title against Brock Lesnar. And now he's the just champion. Re- just right? remember, just to put this into perspective, Braun Strowman, was it two years ago or three years ago, was in WrestleMania match with a 10-year-old or an right. 11-year-old and won the tag team championships with an 11-year-old. That should that should put the perspective as to what they think of Braun Strowman and how far he had to fall before they had no choice but for Haley's Comet to come flying through, which only happens once every 86 years, for everything to align right for him to be the champion and go in and not even be in the main event of the pay-per-view. His right. match is one, two, third, the third match out of six matches if you, or seven, if you want to call them that, of oh, the yeah. card. 
Right. It's unbelievable. Um, look, more more stuff in this match, just in terms of my thoughts going in. But I really think the sad part is Morrison here. I think he deserves better. When you look at his career, especially when he left WWE and he went to Lucha Underground and he was a star in Lucha Underground. He comes, he went to Impact. I believe he was the champion, albeit briefly. Then he comes back to WWE. And you think about John Morrison. Okay, well, let's get this guy into the main title picture. He could be a champion. Look at it. Just look at the guy. He he exudes main event superstar talent, and he's booked mm-hmm. in this garbage. Now I don't know what the future holds for him, but he's he's. Let's be fair here. I know people have opinions on the Miz, as do I. He's on another level than the Miz. The Miz is trash compared to John Morrison. I don't know what you think about that. Oh yeah, um, definitely. Um... Every time that I see Morrison Russell, I think of, like you just said, star. He's, what, 40 now? 39, 40? And he's still a parkour. Look, He looks great physique, very athletic, very in- good in-ring. He's had some of the great matches that I've seen this decade, some really, really good matches. And the fact that the, the, to strap him with The Miz, who is probably the safest, most milk toast guy, but mostly because he's wrestle safe, he's good for the company, he's a company man, he's not going anywhere, is the reasoning behind all of that. And remember, there was a time when nobody in the company liked The Miz. As a matter of fact, he went through... The wrestler's court, as we've all heard of uh, backstage with The Undertaker or hearing whatever grievance it is with all of the other wrestlers, nobody wanted to be around The Miz for about a year. He had to dress in another dressing room until he learned what the, the company was about. So that's to show you what kind of wrestler Miz has become up to this point. Morrison has never gone through any of that stuff, and yet he's strapped with this. I, I don't get it. No, it's crap. I mean, the, the biggest thing I've always said about The Miz... If, uh, and just put it in perspective as a wrestling fan, if you have never seen a Miz match, you're not missing anything. That's yes. just my take. I mean, you want to say he's had a match here and there. I don't think he's led the match. My point is you're not missing anything. And I'll say this. That video, music video at the beginning was, oh, I mean, abortion is an understatement. The fact that someone got paid for that, just as someone got paid for that segment on SmackDown two weeks ago with the pool crap with Mandy and Otis. People are making money, and this is the worst produced stuff you'll ever see in your life. I, I don't know. And what makes it worse is to hear Corey Graves repeatedly singing that nonsense during the broadcast, which I understand he's supposed to be an annoying heel, but come on. There's a difference between being annoying and got to the point where I literally, and I remember telling you, I almost shut, the, I almost shut off. The, the pay-per-view. If it wasn't for that, for I had the stomach going through all of that to get to where we are. But a couple of things in the match that really kind of started a trend here. Did you notice the amount of one counts as far as matches were going? Even deep into a match where we get maybe to the halfway point of the match and wrestlers are kicking out at one? I yeah, mean, I, didn't, I didn't notice that, but that's it's, it says a lot about people selling anything. Yeah, and the thing that I know is a pet peeve with you because you talked with me about this. There was a spot where Morrison and Miz hit Braun Strowman with a double DDT. 
and he kicked out at one. And I don't understand how I understand moves as you get along within uh, the time frame of wrestling. Certain moves that were finishers become ordinary moves. But how does a double DDT kick out a two and a half? But a one count makes no sense. Yeah, I mean, this whole thing stinks just in terms of how you're booking two against one. Like I said earlier, nobody wins in this. It's just absurd. And then on top of it, if you listen to the beginning of the match when they announced that the that initially, like Morrison and Miz, I guess they thought if they won, they would be co-champions. But then they learned that it would only be one champion, whoever pinched Strowman. Imagine announcing that right beforehand, how stupid they are. It's yes. just ridiculous. And, and furthermore... I mean, when you have your former tag champs bumping around like this, they ended up, look, let's be fair, they look like 1980s jobbers. I mean, and, yes. and you knew who was going to win the match. Exactly. They, they looked like inexperienced bumpkins from the mid-Atlantic region. And the, the worst part about it is when they had a chance, I think Miz had, uh, uh, Morrison had the chance to win the match. And then the Miz yanked his partner off of him. And there's like, okay, I see where this is going. Which usually looks like a tease of a team breakup, but that wasn't the case. So I, I don't know what they were trying to accomplish with this, but it, it just did not look good. The match was not good at all. At the end of the day, nobody cares. You might as well stick two masks on them and call them the fucking ding dongs. <laughs> Put some bells on them too, right? <laughs> fucking joke, man. I'm telling you. So, okay, the only thing I'll say about the, the what's going to happen and the fact that Bray's still out with the whole kid situation, obviously we're going to build towards that next. I don't know when Bray's coming back exactly, but we know, I believe, it's going to lead towards the Fiend against Strowman at SummerSlam, and then we finally get the title back on Bray. And, and, and that wouldn't be that far off considering. Right. So uh, next match is, that's another interesting thing. They put the main two titles back-to-back. -back. I don't know. I, I can't understand any of the things they do. So I'll say this about Lashley against McIntyre, just in terms of the pre-match, is that I feel that the go-home show, they didn't do enough. They did something, but they didn't do enough to make me believe Lashley had a chance to win this match. I feel like they didn't do a, job, a good job selling the pay-per-view. When you go off Monday Night Raw with your final image being Nia Jax, that doesn't sell pay-per-views. Your final no. image should have been Orton, Edge, Lashley, or McIntyre. I even suspect, uh, suggested that would, that should have been your tag team match back in the 90s. Back All these eras, you get, you get your top four people in a main event and a tag, and you sell pay-per-views. It's like they forgot how to do that. Yeah. and you're, But you also see this thing is, as far as tag teams go, Vince McMahon hates tag teams in the sense that he doesn't care for dedicated tag teams unless he can find one of them as a star, break them up, have them feud, and then the winner of that particular feud ends up having another singles career. He doesn't have tag team. He takes singles wrestlers, like you said, and puts them together in a feud with two other singles wrestlers. That's usually how they book a go-home show going into the uh, into a pay-per-view. But in general, he doesn't care for tag teams. So that's in the toilet. I don't know. Not, nothing, nothing they do makes sense. It's only going to get worse now. Um, so the match starts. 
we get Lashley actually attacks him before the bell with the full Nelson, which was a nice thing because you don't really see that. He also liked the fact that a simple move like the full Nelson, which is not utilized anymore, is now taken seriously. So I have I, I, I like that a lot. Um, I'll say this. There was a really scary botch outside the yeah. ring where McIntyre almost dropped on his head. I mean, that that was ugly. Yeah, that was a bad fireman's carry. I don't know. I think what he was trying to do is what he eventually did afterwards, which was literally seconds after that, where he was supposed to pick him up and swing him into the ring post. But what I think happened is, let's be honest, McIntyre is 6'7", 260. So he picked him up and he probably lost his balance. And then, like you say, just literally dumped him on his face. So it it looked bad. And even on the replay, it looked even worse. Yeah, McIntyre was lucky not to break his neck right there. That was pretty uh, devastating. I'll say this about the match before we talk about the finish. I thought the match was better than I anticipated. And I think as they built the match up, unlike with the go-home show and any match or or segments before the go-home show, that during this match, you actually started to believe that Lashley could win the way they built the match. Now, the match was sloppy, but it was better than I thought it would be. Yeah, I actually thought that there were sloppy points, as you just stated. I think that because of the size of both guys, and I think that because of how much effort they were putting into the match, it looked like, although you could get away with a little bit of the sloppiness and the fact that they were trying to sell a story of these big guys are exerting a lot of energy, trying to do whatever they can, because... They're big guys. And this was another match, like I was saying before, where there were a lot of one counts going later on into the match where you would see guys kicking out. I mean, why why is he kicking out at one? It's like a move that you do should not lead to a one count. And there was a spot where um, there was there was a spot where there was a tombstone pile driver that was attempted by. Uh, McIntyre, okay. right, and right, then right. it got reversed into an ankle lock by yes. Lashley, yes. which was a really good spot. That's nice. what made, yeah. like you said, it added to the believability of the match because we know that Bobby Lashley is an MMA fighter, and he has great submission uh, maneuvering in the MMA fight world, and he able to bring a lot of that into the match. That actually looked really good. Yeah, if I can if I can piggyback off that thought, however, and conversely, and something I has been my pet peeve since I became an MMA fan, unless you are an MMA fighter or have that background and knowledge in terms of being in a cage, like Lashley has been, it really bothered me so much when they're against the ropes and McIntyre puts Lashley into a Kimura. I was I wanted to scream at the TV at this moment. Yeah. But I think that kind of played into what they were going for in the match. But I do understand where you're coming from. Yeah, no, it's been an issue forever. I mean, look, I talked about that Thatcher-Riddle match on uh, NXT. It ended up being less MMA, which I was happy with. But other circumstances, you get too much MMA with guys. I mean, you're being realistic here. Like, not to go off on a tangent here, but, I mean, even The Undertaker, when he was doing the triangle choke back 15 years ago, that bothered me. Like, if you want to get into an MMA cage once, like CM Punk did a couple times, look, at least you get some credibility MMA community. And, uh, oh, fine, okay, now you can do the triangle choke. But I, I just, oh, it bothers me too much. Sorry, I don't, you know. <laughs> That's okay. I, I understand where you're coming from. 
You know, and like if you were a boxer, you know, it Big Show is would be somewhat believable because he actually did get in a boxing ring. Whereas somebody that's just coming off the street and you put him in a wrestling ring and now all of a sudden he has no boxing background or no MMA background. And then you see him using MMA submission holds, you know, right. it's not the way it used to be where you could say a guy went to Japan and learned X amount of moves and then comes back six months later and he's got a completely different move set. That's not the case here. Exactly. And then, um, I don't know. I, you explained it better. I know you you uh you wanted to shed light on why they did this finish. And you know, Lana comes down, they do this crap, and then of course Lashley ends up losing as we knew he would lose. But you go ahead, shed light on, on this finish. Yeah. Well, Lana getting on the apron, she almost got cracked, got out of the way, turned around after that Glasgow kiss. I guess that's what the headbutt is called. Then turned around, uh Lashley throws McIntyre to the ropes. McIntyre hits him with the Claymore, goes right into um, into Lana, who then falls into MVP, and then that's the end of the match. What I think is happening is that they've been teasing us for a while. I think that MVP is going to start up a faction with Lashley involved, and I think he's going to add a couple other wrestlers with him. Uh, what this does is two things. One, it establishes the fact that Lashley doesn't lose any any heat by losing to uh, Drew McIntyre the way that he did. It puts the blame squarely on Lana being ambitious. At least that's what the character is doing. It it's a way to get Lana off of Lashley, and then they can move him to this faction with MVP. As you saw them teasing, well, you're, you can't tell you your wife what to do. That's a, your discussion for you, et cetera, et cetera. And it would seemingly work in that way. And I would not be surprised if on Raw we end up seeing the breakup being final or whatever is the case. Because what I thought was going to happen was I actually thought that Lashley, because of McMahon and his whole changing of everything, I actually thought Lashley was going to win the belt. Oh, I wow. thought he was going to hold on to the belt. And I thought that they were going to build this towards some sort of match between him and Brock Lesnar. That's what I. That's what I was looking at. Yeah, I just I I, I didn't think that. I know with the the, the change, I still didn't believe that. I want to I want to believe that you can't take the title off McIntyre until you can prove that he's not over. And it's just yes. hard to take it off of him until you get a real crowd. So I don't know. Moving on. That's how I don't understand how they can come. That's why I don't understand how Vince can come up with this mindset of doing all of these changes without knowing how it's working out with what Heyman was doing. That that doesn't make any sense to me. You're gonna do Heyman is trying what Heyman was trying to do was build young stars. And I've said this before off air with you. What it seems to me is that Vince takes established stars. And he feeds the young guys to the established stars, whereas Heyman tries to build younger stars and then gives those stars the rub against some of the established stars with the the notion of building them up at some point so that you have future stars going forward. You can't keep using the same older guys 20, 30 years down the road and you don't have anybody behind them. That's pretty much what happened to TNA. Right. I mean, look, there's so many things going on there. I mean, at the end of the day, I would like to at least – this is what I put on Twitter. I want to see one script of Paul Heyman's three-hour Raw show 
without Vince McMahon's involvement. Let's see how good that show really was. You know what I mean? Just to see one of them. Yeah. And we've seen a lot of Heyman's input. And you can kind of look at what's Heyman's and what's Vince's just by the, 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 the way that the cadence of the promos are cut, the way they look into the camera, what they talk about, and then even in the ring, you can tell. Right. And with that said, though, to be fair, I mean, as great of a mind as Heyman is, no one's perfect. People are going to make booking errors. People are going to make these decisions. I'm sure it's probably overwhelming to have to write a show uh, or at least book a show. I'm sure there's other people involved writing the show per se, but it's it's got to be a challenge every week to make everyone satisfied. You can't satisfy everybody. Yeah, but also the main problem with this product is the fact that they're three hours. And they went three hours, what was it, 10 years ago? This show did not need to be three hours long. I'm sorry. Two hours is perfectly fine because then if you're going to run a three-hour show for a Monday night, you got to have the talent and the guns to go there and utilize some of the talent that's there. How many times did we see the same four or five people? There was a show, there, there was a Raw where Zelina Vega and her uh, her faction were prominently displayed six times in the three hours of one show. That just can't happen. It's just too much. I mean, look, at the end of the day, I always, I always talk about this on this podcast, how you couldn't pay me to watch that show if I weren't doing this podcast because three hours becomes a chore. It really does. When you get to that second hour, you're like, oh, Jesus Christ, I still got to watch another hour. And it's, just, it's, it's a lot to have to sit through. Thank God I don't watch it like other people do on cable. I mean, I'm sure for, for those who watch it live, it's got to be torture. If you are committed to this program every Monday night where you watch it live without a DVR, I don't know how you do it because I, I don't have to sit through commercials the way I watch it. I can understand that. I mean, I watch I, I watch it, but as I, anybody that knows me knows, and as I've been a wrestling fan since I was the age of four, I watch Raw hoping to get at least two good matches. If I get two good matches out of a three-hour show, that shows you how how low the bar has has gotten. If I can get two good matches out of a three-hour show. I'm sated. That doesn't happen all the time. And sometimes you're lucky if you get one good match. So yeah. unfortunately, that's kind of what has happened with uh, Raw. It, it, three hours is just way too long. Right. So uh, up until this point, whatever you thought of this show, and this show was actually somewhat good up until this point, and then out of nowhere. Now, here's the thing. I didn't even know. Going into this show, based on the decathlon and all the other stuff that went on, I didn't know we were going to get a Street Profits Viking Raiders tag title match. I had no, I mean, did you know this show was on before we got to the pay-per-view? I knew that the pay-per-view, they because they talked about it on Monday, that they were supposed to be giving them a tag team title match. They on, said it on Raw and I missed it? I, I believe so. I didn't know the that. The problem is... With the garbage that they put in, we're going to talk about that in a second, but with the garbage that they put on the last, what is it, three weeks, with this anything you can do, I can do better crap. Right, right. Oh, my God. It, 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 it made my head ache watching all of that stuff. Right. And then it as was- we're going to talk about in this match, it was, it was even more mind-boggling than what I expected, because I was actually expecting 
a tag team title match, and you'll see we, what happens afterwards. Right. I mean, I, and like you said, you 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 threw your pen and paper out the window. You didn't want to watch anymore. It was it became nope. so bad because I mean, look, the bottom line with these teams here's here's what happened. So they start this match with, with a brawl. And the brawl looked good because I was like, wait, weren't these teams just dating? That's the way it looked the last few weeks. Like, they were all <laughs> dating each other. Like, yeah. I was waiting for them to, to show up next at, like, the Blue Oyster Bar where they can all date and dance at the same time. I thought that was next. So here's the thing. When you start to see the brawl, right, you're like, wait a yeah. second. When did they dislike each other? Because they've been all chummy and friendly lately. So now they're brawling. And at that moment, when I see that, I go, wait, should we take this seriously now? Am I supposed to take this seriously? And it didn't take much longer than that before they went back to the comedy shit. And I went, oh, no, here we go. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. This, I, I, yeah I, I don't know. I think when you look at what, what goes on with this company, that particular storyline was, I believe, 100% Vince McMahon from weeks ago. Oh yeah, the axe throwing and the basketball game and the bowling and and now this, which I because they they even announced on the show that this was a Raw Tag Team Championship match. Okay, let's see what they can do because we know the Viking Raiders from when they were in Ring of Honor's War Machine. We know the Street Profits. We know what they can do when they're in the ring. So I was expecting to at least get a pretty decent match. Based on all the garbage they were doing before, I was like, okay, well, they're gonna get the ring. <sighs> that did not happen. Right. Talk so, about a beat and switch. So when when you people say shit hit the fan, I mean shit almost really hit the fan in this match because I they gave us everything. So we go outside, now they're brawling, so much stuff happened. I didn't write everything down because I, just like you, I became nauseous watching this while I was making dinner, also. So then out of nowhere. We get a bunch of people showing up on motorcycles. Takes the takes the hood off, the helmet rather, and it's Akira Tozawa with a bunch of ninjas. And then I turned <laughs> up, I, <laughs> think about the I description went, of that. I went back to the kitchen to cook. Did you yes, see exactly. ninjas? <laughs> well, first, let's set it up first on how it started. After that brawl that they had in the parking lot. Right, right, they, right. Backdrop one of the street, uh, one of the Viking Raiders on Braun Strowman's car, which oh, has yeah. now become its own meme. It right, seems like right. every week it's like a running joke. Somebody does something in his car, so that's what started it. And then they all ran in, inside, and that's where they start fighting. And they break out the golf golf clubs, and right. it's like something about it's Tiger Woods, y'all. They all get the golf oh, clubs, man. then. The Viking Raiders come back with shields. Yeah. And yeah. they're about to fight each other. And then not only do they have shields, they have a bowling ball. Right. And it turns into married with children. I mean, mm -hmm. I was not expecting a cinematic match at this point. That's what it turned into. And then we get those ridiculous, uh, ridiculous flashbacks to when oh. they were bowling. And I was like, what are they doing? It, was just, it just became. It, it became embarrassing to watch. Yeah, it it was disgusting. I mean, and this went on for almost twenty minutes. I mean, what, uh, that was the worst part about it. They killed time with this crap. <laughs> Being oh, I didn't write so much down because I, I I was insulted by this. What what actually what was, what was the ending to the whole scene with the ninjas? 
Oh, good grief. Okay. Uh, they, after the ninjas show up, Akira Tozawa takes off his helmet, he gets off his motorcycle, and then he speaks in Japanese, anything you can do, I can do better, the same nonsense. Then all of the other ninja get off their motorcycles, and then Tozawa stands next to another ninja who happens to be some really tall African-American guy with a samurai sword. Is that Shaq? And, and, and you know what? I thought that's who it was because it, it, in the shape and the form and everything, it looked, it looked almost exactly like him. So, oh, and yeah. And I, I, when I saw that, I actually stepped out of my living room mm-hmm. to get something to drink because I had to. I had to. It, it, it was too much. And then when I get back, they're fighting. I think one, they went to a window. They, they started fighting each other again. They start. That's what it was. The guy pulls out his sword, mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden, the Viking Raiders and uh, the Street Prophets team up together. Right, and right. They fighting everybody else. <laughs> so they jump in the air. They do one of those TV high fives. Mm-hmm. The thing freezes. And then they they start doing stupid stuff, and then they just run away. They climb onto a truck, and then I believe they all started fighting when they got to the top of the truck. I was like, wait a minute, well, I thought we were the Viking prophets, and no more. They start fighting each other. Wait, they no, sure, each they're, other. they're dating again. They're, they're back to dating. <laughs> they're back to dating again. And yeah. then what ends up happening is they all eventually throw each other off the truck into a giant dumpster. Right, right, right. And then at Which the is apropos of, for the match. Being in a dumpster yeah. is apropos for that. It was a dumpster fire. All you had to do was light it on fire. Exactly. And what ended up happening was while they're all laying down in the dumpster and they're all breathing hard and wondering what's going on, et cetera, et cetera, while right we about. want to smoke, whatever is the case, apparently an alligator or what <laughs> appeared to be an alligator's tail, because you hear growling. And you see a tail shaking around. It was a, it was an alligator. They all run out of the daggone uh, the dumpster as quick as they can, and that was the end of the segment. And then they show a commercial. They come back to commentators and well, obviously because of what happened, there's not going to be a tag team title match. No kidding. This is this is what the product. If I had to pay forty nine ninety nine or thirty nine ninety nine for this pay per view on television or cable or whatever. I'd be upset. This is ridiculous. <laughs> yeah, it looked like Samoa Joe was legitimately disgusted by what he just watched. <laughs> oh, grief! <sighs> this this is what Vince McMahon wants to his. This is his idea of entertainment. Paul Heyman would not have anywhere entered anywhere near this. Not at all. But this is what we got. I'll say this though. I'll say. To be fair, knowing how the ratings have taken a bit of a dump, and now he knows that really it's mostly the the diehard fans that are watching. Let's be fair. We're now down at 1.7 for Raw. I know SmackDown is still a little over two. But remember, SmackDown's in everyone's house still. So you're going to get some casuals turning into Fox, some people, whatever. But with the ratings so low, now he's just like, okay, we're going to go back to entertainment. Because a lot of the wrestling wasn't drawing fans. So now he's going to throw everything at us to get people back. And he's going to alienate the people that are left. The people that are left are the ones that care about the product. 
And if you insult their intelligence with this drivel, they're not going to stick around. See, we, we always talk about the ratings, 600,000 this week, 700,000 another week, maybe 650,000. What happens is, like with NXT and what we talk about with that against AEW, the, the companies are trying to figure out what is their key demographic and who's going to watch the show on the long term. And when you have six weeks or so of a particular audience, we know who's watching. So now it's a matter of keeping that audience and then growing the product. What they're doing with this, they're not trying to grow the product at all. What they're trying to do is basically play par for the course and hope nobody leaves. Because with this kind of stuff, you're going to lose people unless they think that just because they got Twitter followers following, oh, we're trending every two seconds. Look at how ridiculous this show was. Let's see what they're going to do next. This was absolutely mind-bending that they would even do this. And then on top of that, they just wasted two tag teams who could have had a great match. Now you've just given them the bait and switch because I guarantee you this match will take place tomorrow on Raw. Well, I was just going to make a comparison, and this is where I, I was like, okay, well, maybe that's not true. Because if you go back to the 90s, late 90s, Attitude Era, ratings are unbelievably off the charts, the best ratings you can ever get for shows, right? Here's the thing. In a two-hour show with Vince Russo co-writing it with other people involved, but he pretty much is the guy, think about how much crap we got to have to – we had to sit through on Raw that a lot of us Nitro people turned off, whereas those people were watching it still – However, you still had your stars. You had Austin. You had The Rock. You had Triple H. You had you had the stars. Now, if you're going to give people a bunch of crap, well, where's your stars to counter that crap? And that's the problem. And what Vince does not do is build newer stars. If he didn't create a star, he's going to push the older stars that are already there, which is what is counterproductive or counterintuitive to what what Heyman was doing on Raw. And that goes against everything that you just brought up. You got to have stars. You got to have people you can lean on. Cena's not there anymore. He's in Hollywood right now. Rock is pretty much, has been done for years. He's in Hollywood. He'll come back every so often. You can't really sit there and, 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 and say, okay, well, we have Roman Reigns. Oh, wait a minute. Roman Reigns is his home with his family. So he's gone. You got so many of these other guys Start pushing the younger guys. You've got younger talent. You've got guys in the locker room. You've got guys in NXT. You have wrestlers that can show you that they can go. Use them. Instead, well, when they use them, they don't know right. what to do with them. Here's the thing, though. Let's see what they do with Matt Riddle, because Matt Riddle, I think, is a star. And if they screw up Matt Riddle, then they clearly have no idea what they're doing. Even more importantly, I want to see what this company does with Adam Cole going forward. I think he, as far as I'm concerned, is the next star to look for going forward when it when they eventually bring him either to Raw or SmackDown? What do they do with him? Um, here's the one thing, though, and a lot of people are saying this. A lot of other people who who do it, what we do with these podcasts and stuff, and, and I might tend to agree. And if you know Vince McMahon in the history of the way he books people, take one look at Adam Cole. W yep. What is he lacking? He has no height, and that's what that's the problem. Height. Height is the problem. Look, look at yep. the rest of them. How much does he yeah. weigh? About what? Two ten. No, Adam Cole weighs two ten. Adam Cole's two, arms might two hundred five and two ten. Adam Cole might weigh one ninety if he's lucky. 
Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. How is Vince McMahon? Is he still in control? He's going to take mm-hmm. one look at Adam Cole and go, I'm going to push this guy to what? Mm-hmm. And that's part of the problem, is that he continues in his mind to only push these big heavyweights. Look at all of the stuff. Look at all of the guys in the last twenty years that that he pushed, and the only way he pushed some guys was even if they weren't super tall, they were bigger guys. You know, Shawn Michaels is lucky if he's six feet. Um, Chris Jericho was lucky if he's six feet, and Jim Ross talked on his podcast that that was the one thing that Vince McMahon didn't like about Chris Jericho is that he wasn't that tall. Wow, who cares about his height? If he can go in the ring, put him in the ring. Yeah, well, we can go on. We could go on for, we could have a three-day podcast talking about WWE and everything that goes on. But uh, let's just get into this main event. Although, before we get into the main event, I'll say this. And I had this thought as we were watching the main event, talking about the abortion that we just watched. Yes. Here's the thinking, okay? When you're going to promote the greatest match ever, and that's going to be your main event. Maybe it was calculated in the fact that they put on the worst possible shit you could put on before it, which then makes you appreciate the match that you're watching. And now you start thinking, maybe this is the greatest match because it's shit I just watched. I don't know. Maybe yeah. Right? figure. <laughs> right. So, okay, so we start this match. You get the introductions. Right away, we, we, we discovered this, and we, we texted back and forth on this, that you could tell that they were piping in crowd noise, which is apropos because, look, in a real situation, these two are going to get those kind of pops. So I have no problem with the piped in crowd noise. Yeah. And then we get we – get, this was great. This was an amazing touch on the show itself and a great tribute we get the microphone lowering like they did in MSG, and we get even the mic. They even had the mic that said MSG, which was great. And we hear the legendary voice of Howard Finkel introduce both wrestlers, and that was that was goosebumps. I don't know about you. Oh yeah, and I, I would definitely wasn't expecting that. And with that whole moniker of greatest match of all time, I guess the mindset is we're going to get you the greatest atmosphere. For right, the right. greatest match ever, or whatever the heck they called it, and that was perfect. It 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 really did work. Yeah, I mean that that was great. And then we get into the match. Listen, a lot happened to this match. We can't go over the whole match because we'd be here for another hour. Because this match was roughly forty five minutes as it was. So we got some good chain wrestling. We got some good psychology. We got a lot of them working the body parts. Like of course the focus was on Edge's neck, Randy Orton's shoulder. They did a tremendous part there. Then they did the spot where I want to say it was a headbutt, right? Where Orton then went down and he did. I want to say he did a pretty good blade job there with the blood. What, what are your thoughts on all that? Yeah, it, it, it he did a great job covering it up. But as we're going to talk about as this match goes on, there was a lot of editing because this match was not live. Right. In the sense that the rest of the pay-per-view was live. This right. match was edited heavily. And there were spots in this match where you could see and hear the edits. I'll give you a couple examples. One, if you saw, you know, when you see the close-ups of the wrestlers in the ring after a count, somebody kicks out, they zoom in. You could see in the faraway shot of the commentators, 
of them talking. You could hear uh, Michael Cole or or whoever was doing, uh, I think it was Tom Phillips that was doing the commentary for right. the match. But then you would see on camera Samoa Joe talking. So you know that the editing was done and it was dubbed in a certain way where the edit looked the way it was. So some of the some of the editing was kind of off and you could kind of tell. If we didn't know that this match was edited, they did a decent job of covering that up. Right. That's the thing. As good as this match was, and I think the match exceeded expectations, not from the standpoint of it being the greatest match ever. We know it was not the greatest match ever. But as good as it was, the thing is, it'll always have that stench on it that we know it was taped. And how edited was it? And what did it look like before it was edited? So that that takes away from the match. Like, for example, Dave Meltzer doesn't rate matches that are taped. He will not even give this match stars. He did it with Lucha Underground. He does it with anything that is taped. So I don't know how you can even rate this match. Yeah. You would have to look at it in a different light based on what – because the thing is you don't know where – the artistry is and what the original intention was when you see flair versus steamboat any of the matches there's no editing there's no stop this was done wrong this camera needs to be none of that stuff they went 45 50 the two out of three falls match that they did at clash of the champion six in new orleans that match went 55 minutes on television with a commercial break in between falls, without any editing at all, that's what uh, most people will judge matches by. How do they go in a long match without editing? Because it's kind of hard to tell what the ebb and flow is originally if you know that there was a cut here or a jump cut there. or where, where the, that's, prob- that's problematic. Yeah, I mean, look, there's just... That, that's the sad part. And what I think is, I almost feel like, don't get me wrong, like we talked about the moniker itself of the greatest match of all time or greatest match ever, rather. It's insulting to these guys who are first ballot Hall of Famers, legendary wrestlers, to, to try to even get them to live up to that expectation, one. But then two, you're insulting them, I think, even more by telling them we're going to take this and we're going to edit this because we don't believe that you two can do a great match live. Isn't that almost what they're telling them? That's insulting. For the most part, yeah. And, and, and especially, I can understand that they want to make sure that Edge, mostly, this is mostly for Edge's benefit, because he hasn't had a long-term stretch where he's had that cardiovascular, every week wrestling shape that he normally would have had had he not had the injury. But to do that, like that to protect him, I don't think it was needed. Maybe his cardio wasn't good enough for a 40, 45-minute match, but they could have still done 25, 30 minutes, and it would have still been a really good match. If this would if this was if this is what we saw and it wasn't an edited match, this was a solid four-star match. They didn't need to edit anything, as far as I'm concerned. Unless right. we don't know what was edited. Correct. That's the thing. It's easy to say, like, I, I want to believe that these two on their best day could do a five star. But even if it was four and a half, it's still a great match. Exactly. Oh, well. So moving along, there's a lot to still get into with this match itself. Uh, just moving along. I don't know how far I'm moving along because it was 45. So there's a lot to talk about. There was a situation where they were both outside. And I don't remember. I think Orton put Edge on the, the, the commentator's table 
and something happened where Orton then whispered into Edge's ear. Did you hear what he said to him? I think he said something. I I couldn't really hear it because of the ironic, the edited, piped-in sound. Right, right, right. But um, I think that he said something about uh, about his going home or something. He was he was making he was making light of something, and I couldn't really decipher what he was saying. Okay, because I, I I you heard that because I thought I heard something like that. He said, "I want to make love to your mouth." So you're saying he didn't say that. If he did, I, I okay. couldn't really tell. tell if <laughs> I was hoping oh, you'd enjoy that one. When I wrote that down, I was like, just gotta laugh at that. Yeah. Oh, boy. Could you imagine if he did say that, though? <laughs> you know what's funny is that my, my friend and I, he, 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 I think he's a future stand-up comedian also because he's very funny. And we were yeah. just talking about because we always think about funny stuff. And... I, I came up with the thought of you remember in the eighties and early nineties with the Rock and Roll Express and the Fantastics and even in World Class when guys would come to the ring and all the women would be wanting to hug them and kiss them. I think it would have been hilarious if any of those groups coming down to the ring pushed the woman aside and just start making out with a guy. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, that 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 would that would be that would be something interesting to show on television. <laughs> oh man, oh, good grief! Because listen, I, the funny thing about it, like when you see the way the Fantastics are dressed when they come to the ring, if one of them was on the low, would you be shocked? <laughs> <laughs> they 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 do look like Chippendales dancers. So right. if that was the case. Uh, to some people, it was like I think that fits their character, <laughs> you know. Right, so. Lover boy, let's think about the names from the '80s, okay? Listen, I love the '80s. Don't get me wrong, but there's a lot of suspect going on there, okay? We got Lover Boy Dennis, we got Beautiful Bobby, we got Sweet Stan. I don't know, something's going on there. Yeah. Also, you had Ravishing Randy Rose, <laughs> right, <laughs> you know. All right, so listen, we're, we're going off on a tangent here. Let's get back to this match. Let's let's reel it in, shall we? Um, yes. So, oh, by the way, that was funny. I don't know what point in the match again. I'm just guessing here. Uh, like, I want to say three quarters of the way in. Did you hear Joe just happened to say Randy Orton is a simple man? <laughs> what? Yeah, I think he did I say something. Meant, how it could come across. <laughs> Yeah, it would sound kind of simple, man. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, okay. So then we get we get a lot of things that happen in the last 10 minutes. We get, I want to say the last 10 minutes. We get both guys attempt the three amigos. And then I think Edge is the one who finally successfully converted the three amigos. Is that correct? Um, yes, it was. Okay. So then were, I heard. Were, I'm sorry, yeah. Yeah, there was that those spots where. I guess the theme of that particular spot was all of all. Of, I guess all of the wrestlers that had comments on who would win over the weeks, right, 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 they were throwing in moves from them. Well, except for Eddie Guerrero, who can't comment on the match, so I don't know where that came from. Yeah, I. But you got to remember, I think they had asked Rey Mysterio who okay. he thought would win. So I think that's where that came from. I got you. And plus the fact that there was that feud between uh, Orton and Eddie Guerrero, Orton and, and right. Rey Mysterio, that had something to do with it. So they did a little bit of continuity. 
Then I think uh, I want to say which commentator made the reference of Flair and Steamo? Was that Phillips? I think it was Phillips. It was, yeah, it was Phillips. Yes. Okay. Then then we went into everyone's finisher mode. So we got the three amigos. Then after that we got the angle slam, which um, I think Orton hit right because is that correct? Orton hit that. I think it was was it? Yeah, it was Orton. Yeah. Orton hit the angle slam, and then. Uh, what other finisher did we get? We got someone else's finisher too. There, do you Edge remember? Did the, Edge did the rock bottom. Yes, yes, yes. And okay. then Orton ended up doing the pedigree, which was kind Correct. of weird. <laughs> yes, yeah, so random. Yeah, but like I said before, all the wrestlers that were picking who they thought would win, I think it was supposed to be done as, I'll show this person, and I'll do that particular wrestler's move to show them who they think is going to win this match. And I that's think that's true. what the, the mindset was. Yes, but I, with that said, though, I don't think we got a, a super kick attempt or a figure four attempt, which we could have gotten. Yeah, But we got a hell of a lot of chops, <laughs> that's yes. for sure. Yeah. Right, right, right. Okay, so let's bring it home here. We get, um, this was interesting. So we get two spears from Edge, and then Orton kicks out, which was amazing. Uh, first, yeah. Orton, by the way, had hit the RKO. Edge kicked out. Then we had this spot where Orton throws Edge into the corner. Edge goes off the second rope and RKO out of nowhere, which is a tremendous spot. I love that spot. Uh, yeah. Edge kicks out. And then we set up the finale and we get the low blow from Orton, which they reference. I didn't really see the low blow. I guess I looked away for a second. And then, of course, which Your I thought. Your monitor went blank, huh? Correct. Yes. <laughs> And then I thought that this was a really good finish with going with the punts. I like the punt for the for the win. What do you think? It was good. It, it obviously it fits in Orton's character and what they want to do with Edge and Orton. But at the same time, it also looks very hypocritical to this company that's supposedly trying to ban all moves to the head and neck, even though we know Orton worked on Edge's neck. But all of those were work-safe moves. A punt to the head with all of the concussion stuff that McMahon went through kind of looks a little bit hypocritical when they're banning moves that have anything to do with the head and neck. So, but it was an element of danger that they were going for based on the, 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 the way that the match was booked. And it fit, especially since we know Orton is a rotten person as far as his character goes. Any means necessary, so that, that worked. Right. No, I think it made sense. Um, I had an idea for the finish as I was watching it, because I'm just thinking as you, you know, as you watch these marathon matches, you just go, OK, how are they going to end this? So yeah. my thought was very similar to the finish that I thought we were going to get, which is when uh, Edge came off the second rope. I thought they could have pinned him right there. I thought the RKO off the yeah. second rope was brilliant. Uh, I thought that was the end of the match, too. I, and when he kicked out, I'm like, uh, the first thing that I said is, OK, this is getting stupid. That was the first thing that popped into my head after that. I was like, okay, this is getting stupid. Because now they've gone this long. I understand the first RKO and the kickout. The second RKO, especially jumping off the top rope, if they were going to go with Orton winning anyway, that should have been enough. If they're going in the context of the greatest match ever, to end the greatest match ever with a kick to the head kind of throws it a little bit off. You you understand what I'm going Yeah, that's fair. Uh, my, my finish would have been something similar to the middle rope thing. I would have had where Orton was in the corner with Edge, and Edge just went up to the second rope to hit the spear. 
Like if Edge tried a second rope spear and Orton, Orton caught him for the RKO, that would have been my finish. Just, I mean, it's very similar, but yeah. But there was also a scarier part earlier. I think it was in the middle of the match where Edge was on the top rope and Orton had picked him up and he cracked his knee on the side of the, of the ring post, which looked really, really. I was like, oh, that looked painful. And I thought something had really happened in that part of the match, but apparently that was either it was something that they edited to make sure Edge was okay or whatever was the case. So, right. yeah. I mean, with the editing, that's another thing. Do we, from what I, I don't know how true this is, but I think that they went back and they may have filmed more because uh, uh, Brian Alvarez said that he was told it was 30 to 35 minutes. So, Maybe they did 30 to 35 and then thought they needed more because this match was clearly 45. And furthermore, I'm curious to know if did these guys get a halftime break at some point? I mean, you know what I mean? <laughs> Probably more for Edge than Orton. Right. But I think in general, I think that when you look at the way that the the, the pacing of the match, it had a very old school feel. They went from traditional feeling each other out, tactical wrestling. They got into ground-based wrestling. They got a little bit high-paced. Then they got a little bit aggressive. Then they got into the vengeful stuff. Then they went into the I'm going to do everybody's move type stuff. Then they went into the pride, you slap, I slap you harder type stuff. Then they went into the let's go, uh, that quote-unquote hot tag segment that you would see in a tag team match to the go-home part. It was really well paced. It was really well done. But like you said before, who knows what was pulled in and out of place originally because of the fact that it was edited so heavily or not as heavily as we know, depending on what 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 is uh, what went through. But I thought it was a really good match. Yeah, no, it was really good. I, I love the match. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying there was anything wrong with it. I just, who, who knows what it really looked like. Um, but yes. I thought the PC trainees were tremendous all night. I think they their chance back and forth, especially in the main event, helped that match tremendously. tremendously uh, on top of the fact that the piped in crowd noise also helped a lot. Yeah, and a lot of the chants that were going there was piped in as well. So that added that it was what what you know what the the term audio sweetening is. That's basically what happened in this entire match. Um, I think that when we look at the totality of it, my personal opinion, even though you know me to like really long strategic uh, technical matches, I personally thought that the uh, Intercontinental Championship match that took place on Friday between AJ Styles and uh, Daniel Bryan was better than this match. That That's just, just me. But I, I personally thought that that was a better match, better paced. They and it wasn't edited, you know, so that kind of helps. Uh, and there was a championship involved, so I think that added to the drama of the match in its own right. Which, like I said, I'm not taking anything away from this particular match, but I actually liked the the match on Friday much better than this one. Yeah, no, the match on Friday was incredible. The only thing I'll say about it is what took away from it a little bit is getting a commercial break every six minutes. So that that was yeah. rough. Yeah. I didn't have to sit they, through the commercial I, break. You did if you watched it live. Was it? I was under the impression 
that that Intercontinental title match was going to take place at Backlash. That's what yeah. I actually initially thought. So did I. Did you, I don't know. Did you hear my show when I said that? I said that I thought it was going to take place, but then when I heard it wasn't, it made sense to me because clearly you can't put that match on this card and then no. expect Orton and Edge to top that match. So it made yeah. sense. Like you said, it, it would be much. It would be a, it would be a hard example to follow. Very right. hard to follow. So the last thing I'll say about this going forward in terms of this feud is we're clearly tied 1-1, so you know there's going to be a blow-up. I don't think they're going to do a best-of-five, a best-of-seven. I think we're going to get one more match. Now, the question is, do we get it at, at Extreme Rules, or do we get it at SummerSlam? Because I'm thinking the blow-off, and it would make sense, is Hell in a Cell. What are your thoughts? Of course. We were, we were on the same page, and I think it happens at SummerSlam. I, I think it, it's going to depend on what Vince wants with the pay-per-views going forward. Uh, but if he thinks that this can sell and pop a rating for a pay-per-view and get buys to the network, et cetera, because now he has a free tier on the network now, if you can get somebody to pay $9.99 for the pay-per-view and you say Edge versus Orton, that has to be the case. Oh, the, 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 one of the things that they did do is that they, they actually named uh, Edge's uh, submission hold is called the Anti Venom Chokeout or whatever right, right. it's called. The Anti Venom. I actually like the name of the move. So maybe that's yeah. what he'll be using going forward. Yeah, I'm just curious because the interesting thing about that and why I question when they'll do it is because Extreme Rules would almost make more sense to do Hell in a Cell, but could they hold it off to August? I don't know. I think I, the thing is, Extreme Rules is in July. I don't think they want to have them that close together for a best of three. I okay. think WrestleMania was the first match. They had the next match here at Backlash. This is June. Give it two, three months. I wouldn't even have a problem with it if they had stretched it out until Survivor Series. Well, but I think long. that... That's, that, that's it, way too long. It, it may be way too long, but the thing is, based on how good in the eyes of most people they think that this feud is going, you can stretch this out. But personally, I think it's going to be SummerSlam. I don't think next next month's pay-per-view makes any sense. It's too soon. And I think that at the at the behest of putting it on one of the major four, that makes the most sense to put it on at SummerSlam. Yeah. Well, listen, um that was our edition of uh, Backlash, a review of Backlash, which lasted almost two hours. <laughs> I think our, our review of the show was almost as long as the show. <laughs> you know what? I think one day we should do the world's longest podcast and just keep going. We could talk about 80s, 90s, and everything. We just do a five-hour podcast. Oh, of course. Go over yeah. every few that we can remember and then just dissect how they are compared to what they do today. I've been watching a lot of, uh, I've been watching NWA from the 80s. I've been watching Mid-South, everything. It's so many things that I've been just, just going back and enjoying in terms of the psychology that is lost on today's uh, wrestling. Yes. One of the, one of the things I'll give you as a, as a gem to look at, because I, I like to see older, how older tag teams came together and older feuds, et cetera. Take a look at the NWA World Tag Team Champions Ole Anderson and Stan Hansen. They were a tag team when Gene Anderson got hurt. And Stan was just as stiff in 1982 as he was at any other time in his career. 
and Ole and, and Stan Hansen with Gene Anderson in their corner was an absolute killer tag team. You need to take a look at that on YouTube. That it, there's your there's your gym. Was that is that Georgia or Mid Atlantic? This is Georgia Championship Wrestling. Yeah. And they had when they were bringing the NWA Tag Team Championship into the territory, and they would allow from Mid Atlantic to Georgia. That was part of it, and there was a big feud between Stan Hansen and Kevin Sullivan and Mark Lewin and a couple of other wrestlers that were involved, and you can see some of that stuff on uh, YouTube because somebody uploaded a bunch of those matches. You'll definitely enjoy it. That's when, that's when men were men, right? Yes, manly, manly men, <laughs> whatever the heck they gave uh, William Regal back in those days. Oh, boy. Right. Well, uh, Peeps Nate, as always, appreciate your time. Thank you for joining us here on Morton's Law. And we'll have you on again in the future. Oh, thank you. Well, the pleasure was all yours. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I put you over once. I put you over, you (laughs) son of a bitch. You ungrateful son of a bitch. So you just booked me to be on your show just so you can get your victory back, all right? (laughs) (laughs) Hey, I'm not Hulk Hogan, brother. Oh, oh boy. Man. All right. Well, listen, uh, I want to thank everybody out there for listening. I'll be back with another edition next week. Take care, everybody, and God bless gay sex. <laughs> <laughs>